Good morning, church. Uh, whether you are, are tuning in this morning as part of our, our West Chicago campus, our, our Streamwood campus up at TVC, uh, we just want to welcome you this morning. And uh, even if you're, if you're just joining us and, and hopping on and, and, and checking out church this morning, we want to welcome you. And uh, even on a morning where I know many hearts are, are heavy and burdened in what's happening in and around our country. And, and uh, I just, as the sun came up this morning here in Chicago, and, and I was just reminded, praise God, that as surely as that sun comes up, we know we have a Savior who has redeemed, who has risen, and in the midst of chaos can bring peace. And we pray that this morning as we begin to enter into worship if you'd, if you'd watch uh, now, we're going to uh, really, really happy to have Phil, one of our missionaries serving in Costa Rica, give us a call to worship this morning as we begin to enter in. Greetings, friends at Wheaton Bible Church. I'm Phil Aspergren. My wife, Jill, and I are missionaries of the church here in San Jose, Costa Rica. And much like you, we've spent the last several months in quarantine at home. Uh, we were thankful that our three sons happened to be visiting when the airports closed and they were unable to return. And so we've been quarantined together. Our empty nest is full again. In spite of the pandemic, um, foster families across Latin America continue to open the doors to their hearts and their homes to receive at-risk children to live with them. Uh, here in, in Costa Rica, we've had dozens of families in the Casa Viva ministry that have received children during this pandemic. It's much like God, isn't it? Um, he opens the door to his heart to receive us as his sons and daughters in spite of the cost that it was to him. This morning I'm reading scripture from the Psalms. Psalm 89 verses five, seven, and eight. I'm reading from the New Living Translation says this, all heaven will praise your great wonders, Lord. Myriads of angels will praise you for your faithfulness. The highest angelic powers stand in awe of God. He is far more awesome than all who surround his throne. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you? O Lord, you are entirely faithful. Oh Lord, we look up to you in worship and praise. Jesus, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we cry out to you, Lord. This morning, Jesus, come and save us. Let's sing together, church. This Jesus that carried our shame, this Jesus rose from the grave the same jesus we worship today we worship today
See a victory. I'm gonna see a 
suffering right now if it's because of oppression if it's because of violence if it's because of sickness we read the words of this psalm Lord and we lift up our prayer 
Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. If you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you, there is forgiveness. So that we can, with reverence, serve you. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. More than watchmen wait for the morning. Oh, people of God, put your hope in the Lord. For with the Lord is unfailing love. And with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem his people. He himself will redeem Israel from all their sins. Hebrews 13, therefore. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross scorning its shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I cry to you In darkest places I will call Incline your ear to me anew And hear my cry for mercy, Lord Count my sinful ways. How could I come before your throne? Yet full forgiveness meets my gaze. I stand redeemed by grace alone. And I will wait for you. I will wait for you. On your word, I will rely. I will wait for you, surely wait for you, till my soul is satisfied. Take courage in his power to save. 
has paid the price that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice that all who trust in him today find healing in his sacrifice and I will Church. I'm Chad Lowe, and I'm the interim campus pastor of Tri-Village Church, our Streamwood campus. On our monthly prayer guide, there's a quote from A.J. Gordon, and it says, You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you can never do more than pray until you have prayed. One of the values here is that there is power in prayer. Every week, the staff gathers to pray for you and the situations that you're facing. Whether it's relationships, employment, medical diagnosis, friends or family, we're praying with you and for you. Would you please take a moment to text the word prayer to the number on the screen? You'll get a response back asking for your requests. And if you'd like to stay anonymous, we would still love to pray for you.
We also want to let you know that your generosity has been caring for the community. One of the members of our church has been out of work since December due to a surgery. And just as she was about to return to work, another injury prevented her from returning. But through our benevolence fund, we've been able to help her pay her rent. Another family was directed to us through the Carroll Stream School District. The father has been sick for two weeks with COVID-19. He's been unable to go to work. And during that time, his one month old daughter tested positive as well. Ultimately, he was unable to work for an entire month and help provide for his family of four. We helped connect him to food pantries and were able to provide rental assistance to stabilize the family. In the last eight weeks, we've shared many stories like this and seen how God is at work in the midst of this crisis. There are a number of families needing help and through your generosity, God is providing for them. If you're able, would you please take a moment right now to prayerfully consider giving to support ministry through Wheaton Bible Church? You can do this easily by texting the word Wheaton Bible to 77977. You can also visit our website, wheatonbible.org give, or you can mail a check to our church offices. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. Now, I'd like to ask Pastor Hannibal to come up and pray for the offering that we're about to receive. Good morning, familia. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez, one of the teaching pastors here at church. And before we do our regular pastoral prayer, I have an invitation for you. I, have, uh, I want to invite you to pray for two different things today and to continue to pray for this for the following weeks. Number one, uh, as you have probably heard already, if you have been tuning in to, uh, with us for the last few weeks, um, we continue to ask for the, uh, asking the Lord for wisdom. We continue to pray. Uh, we continue to think and talk and have, converse, have conversations with other churches um, uh, in order for us to get what we need, in order for us to know what we need to know to think about gradually opening our church again. Um, as you know, these are difficult times. Uh, we are committed as a church to love you. We are committed as a church to love our community. We are committed to keep you safe, and we are committed to keep our community safe. So please pray with us and pray for us. We need God's wisdom on how to do this well, when to do this, uh, what, what, what kind of things we need to take into consideration, what procedures, what things we need to put in practice before we even open. Um, so please pray for us. This is extremely important. We are committed to loving and the safety of our people and our community. But at the same time, we understand that the Lord uh, calls us uh, to gather whenever we can. Uh, so once again, please pray with us. Pray for us as we continue to think of the best way on how to gradually start opening the doors of our church um, uh, as, soon as, you know, as soon as we can. That's the first thing I want you to pray for. The second thing that I want you to pray for is uh, something that I'm sure you're familiar with if you have been uh, watching the news and if you live in this country. Um, I know that you are familiar with what's happening in Minneapolis uh, and actually the rest of the country. I'm sure that you are familiar with the uh, violence and racism and discrimination and protests and riots. Um, but this, I, I don't know if you know this, but as a church, we are committed to something that we call generous justice. It's actually one of our values. We, we believe that as a church, we have a responsibility to seek and to care for the under-resourced and the vulnerable. And the reason why we believe that is because we believe that all human beings are created in the image of God. And regardless of, of where they come from, the way they look, their background, what they do or don't do, every single human being carries with himself or herself the image of God, value and dignity. 
Therefore, we believe that unjustified violence is wrong, that racism and discrimination is wrong. And therefore, we believe that as a church, we cannot be indifferent. The Bible calls us to care for the widows and the orphan and the immigrants and the poor and the oppressed. The Bible calls us to love for them, uh, to love them, to care for them, to pray for them, and to speak on their behalf whenever we, we can. We are called as a church to stand in the gap for those that experience injustice. I want you then, I want to invite you then to pray with us. Uh, I want you to uh, please pray for the government, pray for wisdom, pray for just laws, pray for racial reconciliation, pray for uh, forgiveness and pray for repentance. Pray for our law enforcement um, uh, people, pray for our citizens, but don't just, just pray, care. Care because the church is here as the hope of the world. Care because we are here to bring heaven to earth. Care because we believe in the dignity of human beings. Care because we care about the image of God. So could you please do that? Could you please pray for these two things? I think that these two are important. I Once again, I know that these are difficult times. And this is a time where the church is the church and acts like the church. Could you please do that? Let me pray. Lord, we thank you so much because you are a God of justice as much as you are a God of grace and mercy. We thank you, Lord, that we have you as the one that defends the oppressed and the widow and the orphan and the poor and the one that suffers, suffers injustice. We thank you, Lord, that we trust that you are a God of justice. We pray, Lord, that you move in our midst. We pray, Lord, that you move in our nation. We pray, Lord, that you move in our government. I pray, Lord, that you move in our churches. I pray, Lord, that during this season, the church may stand and represent you well. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you give us the wisdom, Lord, to know what to do in the following weeks. I pray, Lord, that you guide us, that you give us ears to hear, that you give us discernment, that you give us wisdom. Lord, and I'm so thankful for every single member of our church family that continues to be, um, uh, continue to support the church financially and continues to be generous. Lord, I pray that you bless them. And I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you continue to use us for the extension of the kingdom, for the glory of your, of your name and for the joy of people. Please be with us. Please use us. Please bring uh, peace and reconciliation in our midst. And now, Lord, I pray that you uh, open up our eyes, give us understanding, give us the gift of repentance, allow us to believe as we open up a scripture this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And we all say, amen. So welcome again. Good morning again. My name is Hannibal Rodriguez. Uh, and if you are visiting for the first time, I wanted to welcome you. Um, if you are visiting for the first time, I want you to know that we are here to love you. We are here to serve you. We are here to do anything we can for you if, if, in anything we can. So please, if, if you are in need or if you need something from, from us, please let us know. Now, if you're part of the church already, if you're part of the North Avenue campus, if you're part of the Streamwood campus, if you're part of Iglesia del Pueblo, our Spanish-speaking uh, group, I want to welcome you again. As always, I want to remind 
remind you that we love you, that we miss you, that we're praying for you, that we continue to pray that the Lord allows us to gather, worship, and love one another close uh, to one another again. Now, if you have been with us, um, uh, as we have been uh, for the last few weeks, going through some sections of the book of Proverbs. Um, and what we're doing, we are exploring the concept of wisdom. Now, I want to start by giving you a brief definition of what wisdom is. The title for this series is Wisdom for Life. And, and, um, and so I want to start by giving you a brief definition of what it means uh, when the Bible talks about wisdom. Wisdom is that thing that we have, that we need as Christians, if you are a Christian, to make some of the major decisions in life, in specific, in those areas where we don't find a rule. In other words, wisdom is required for those areas, in specific, in specific those areas where we don't find, let's say, a text or a verse or something that tells us this is what you ought to do. Wisdom is a gift and the ability of being able to make decisions when we need to make decisions. And by the way, that's about 70% of your life. In about 70% of your life, you won't find a verse that tells you this is what you ought to do. This is why wisdom is, so, uh, is required. Now, when I think of wisdom, I, I think of, of almost like a sixth uh, sense. Um, and to make my point clear, I, I want to use an illustration of a, of a weird-looking animal called a platypus. Now, before, before I give you, uh, explain why is it that I'm using this illustration, uh, it's important that you know that the reason why I'm, I'm using that illustration is because a few weeks ago, I was participating in one of the events of a student ministries, and I lost the game, and the punishment they gave me was to use the word platypus in one of my sermons. This is an interesting thing, though. They thought that they were punishing me. What they did not know is that were, they were actually helping me to find something uh, for this specific topic. See, this is the thing with this weird-looking animal. This animal looks like it's a mix of a, a duck and a fish and a beaver. And it's just a, it's, it's kind of a little monster, if, if you will. What is interesting, though, about this animal is that uh, when he goes hunting, he doesn't use one of, uh, one of the regular five senses we have or people have, or creation has. He doesn't use uh, the hearing, or seeing, or uh, tasting, or touching, or smelling. Actually, this animal has kind of a sixth sense uh, in which when he's going to go hunting, he shuts everything else down, and, and this sense wakes up. And now I don't have the time to explain all of that thing, but I think that wisdom is kind of like that. It's, one, it's almost like the sixth sense of a Christian. It's, it's the gift and the ability to find what we need to find, to do what we need to do, to go where we need to go, when sometimes we cannot see or hear or taste or, or touch or smell. Wisdom is having this ability, this sixth sense, that you know what to do even when nothing else makes sense in a sense. All right, so that's, that's, the, that's what we're going to be talking about uh, here today. Um, and the question that I'm asking the text today is this. How do we become wise? It's not just the definition of wisdom, which we have been talking about for the last two weeks. It's how do we become wise? And for that, we're going to be looking at uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 3. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 through 12. And then we're going to jump to verses 27 and 28. So if you have your Bible with you. Please go over there, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. And if you don't have your Bible, don't worry, we're going to put the, uh, the verses on the screen. 
The Bible goes like this, starting in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and men. Verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Verse 9. Honor the Lord with all your wealth, with, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Verse 11. My son... Do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves and as a father, the son he delights in. Verse 27, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Lord, I pray that you use your word this morning. Please use it in mighty ways. Amen. So my three points for today are really simple. We're going to talk about the way into wisdom, the timing of wisdom, and the person of wisdom. Let me say that again. We're going to talk about the way into wisdom, the timing of wisdom, and the person of wisdom. Point number one, the way into wisdom. What I'm about to show you here is that in this text, especially in the first nine verses, we find five principles on how a person becomes wise. Now, before we go on with that, it is important that you understand that these are principles that we ought to apply in order to, in order for us to become wise. These are not rules. These are not techniques. These are not things that if we do guarantees wisdom. What it does, though, is that it tells you that if you apply these five principles, eventually wisdom becomes part of your life. But it is also important to understand that the way this book, is, this, this section is written, is in a covenant format, meaning that it uses Covenant language, a covenant in the Old Testament had very specific, uh, it was a very specific format. I had specific regulations, specific blessings. And if you notice, if you read with me at the beginning of the sermon, the text, you notice that there are sections in which we have regulations and things that we ought to do, right? But right after you find blessings or benefits uh, that come if you fulfill the first part. Now, it is also important to know that uh, in a covenant contract, if you will, in a covenant agreement, there was always a superior and an inferior. There was, the superior will be the one that gives the rules and regulations, but he will be also the one that gives the blessings. Also, in a covenant contract, if you will, um, the, the, if the inferior will not fulfill the regulations and the requirements, the superior had the responsibility to punish or discipline the inferior. Now, when you look at the book of Proverbs, and specific this section, you're going to find that there. And I want you to keep that in mind because I have to come back to that at the end of the sermon. So just keep it in your head for a second. 
So once again, what we see here in this covenant contract, if you will, is these five principles that we ought to put in practice in order for us to become wise. Principles that we ought to cultivate if we want our lives to change. Let's just start with principle number one. And principle number one, we find it in verse one. In order for us to become wise, we need to learn how to know our God. Look at what it says, my son, do not forgive my teaching, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. This verse is important because of the word teaching. The word teaching there is the same word that we use uh, for Torah, the word of God. And, and we have to assume then that when the text is talking about commands, we're talking about God's commands. Now, what is interesting here is that the, the, the commandment is not to forget God's word. And the implication is that we have the responsibility to remember God's word. Now, if you look at verse 3, it says, uh, Let the love and faithfulness never leave you, bind them, and bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, the reason why I put these two together is because you got to follow the train of thought. It tells you that it is impossible for us to become wise if the attitude toward the word of God is not in the right place. It tells you that the only way that we can become wise is when we know our God by the things he already said in his word. And it tells you that the only way you become wise is not only when you know the word of God in order for you to know God, but when you treasure the word in such a way that you learn to see the Bible, not as a set of rules and regulations, but, also, but more like a love story. It's a story that tells you about this loving God and faithful God. Wisdom, then, is the overflow of a Bible-saturated, God-centered life. is when his word becomes real to us. is when his word is written in our hearts. is when his word is treasured by us. is when the word shapes the way we think. is when the word shapes our character. Wisdom without the word of God... Wisdom without knowing God is simply impossible. I would say that this is one of the main differences between Christianity and modernity. See, Christianity, if you read the Bible and study the Bible, Christianity invites you to think, to wrestle, to meditate, to memorize, to ask questions, to go to the Bible and ask questions. Sometimes the Bible invites you to even question the Bible so you could find answers in the Bible. The problem with modernity is that it doesn't invite you to question yourself. See, moder secular modernity, modernity, they question everything outside of themselves, except themselves. That's part of the problem. So you got in, in secular time, in a secular group, you have permission to have your truth. I have permission to have my truth. The problem is that if you have your truth and I have my truth, which one is the truth? For Christians... Wisdom comes when we know the Bible because we know our God and our God dictates how we live, what we believe, and how, how we believe it. In other words, the reason, the only way that we, we become wise is when we filter everything through the lenses of a Scripture. That's principle number one, know your God. Principle number two, know your heart. 
And uh, for this one, I have actually two points. So it'll be uh, Know Your Heart Part 1, and later on I'll give you Know Your Heart Part 2. Look at what verse 5 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. The word trust there is extremely important. Because the word trust in the Bible, all through the Bible, is always a synonym of the word obedience, and it's always a synonym of the word believing. Actually, then, what the writer is saying is that you know how much you trust God by how much you believe in him, and if you believe in him, you, are, you submit to him, therefore, your life is a life, it should be a life of obedience. Wisdom, then, is the overflow of a life that learns how to trust, obey, and submit to the word of God. This is why this is so important, and this is why the word trust is so important. This is a reality for all human beings. We always need to trust something. We always need to believe in something. Human beings are not neutral. Either we believe in God or we're going to believe in something else. Either either we trust in God or we're going to have to trust in, in something else. Either God is our source of satisfaction, security, and significance, or, or something else is going to be that. And this is where the word, if you have been part of a church for a while, this is where the word idolatry comes in. Because for us, idolatry in the Bible is not when you elevate an image and you, you, you follow that image and you pray to that image. Idolatry in the, Bible, in the Bible is when you grab those good things that God creates, the gifts of God, and you turn them into a God to you as the source of your satisfaction, of your security, and your significance. In other words, those things become your functional saviors. But I want you to keep in mind that it's not the bad things in the world, the things we worship, but it's actually the good things in the world, even the, the things that God gives us. Listen to what John Piper says in his book, A Hunger for God. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple Simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. Wisdom, then, is the overflow of a life that learns not just to trust and obey and submit to God, but wisdom is the result of us learning how to identify and deal with our idols. Know your heart. Principle number three. Not only you need to know your heart in terms of idols and in what you trust, but you need to know your heart. Look at verse seven. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. And this is what I mean by this one. Not only you need to learn how to identify your idols and see what is it that you trust, what is it that you place in your trust, but you have to recognize that you are not as wise. Actually, that's what the text says. If you notice, uh, what he's saying in verse 7 is very similar to what the author says in verse 5. He says, do not be wise in your own eyes. And verse 7 says, do not lean on your own understanding. And this is what, this is what, what, what the text is saying. Basically, this is what the text is saying. Do not trust your heart. Very clear. 
Do not rely so much on the thing that, in the things that you think you know. Be teachable. Learn how to seek for advice. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. You know what I find interesting about this verse? Is that, that the Bible actually describes, uh, the book of Proverbs actually describes a person that doesn't do this and doesn't like this. Actually, the Bible describes that person in Proverbs chapter 1 as a fool. I know it's kind of offensive, but that's, what the Bible, that's how the Bible describes it. And in Proverbs chapter 1, it tells you that a fool is a person that is habitually out of touch with reality. And the reason why this fool is, I'm sorry for the word, but the word fool is there, is, is because it's a person that thinks that knows the things that he doesn't know. Therefore, he thinks that he's self-sufficient. A fool, according to, uh, according to Proverbs chapter 1, is someone that hates knowledge. In other words, a fool is a person that is full of pride. A fool, according to Proverbs chapter 1, is someone that is stubborn, is someone that is opinionated, is someone that is wise in their own eyes, someone that is not willing to be corrected, someone that is not teachable. Now, this is where the text becomes a little bit confrontational. Because the text is going to tell you, that the text tells you and it assumes that we are all by nature foolish in our hearts. The reason why the exhortation is there is because the text assumes that we all by nature, because we are sinners, we struggle with foolishness. Now, how about if I tell you that Christians are not the only ones that believe that? How about if I tell you that even the secular world believes that? That by nature, we are foolish in our hearts. So there is a child psychologist. His name is uh, Jerome um, Kagan. I believe that's the way you, you pronounce his last name. And he discovered in his research that children are born with one of these three uh, basic temperaments uh, that determine how they respond to difficulty. So, for example, he says that there's a group of children that when they experience difficulty, they, they, they respond with anxiety and withdrawal. So, they, they, they anxiety and withdrawal. There's another group that responds with aggression and assertive actions, like they do something. But there's another group that responds with optimism and put effort, right? Those are the three. But look at what he says. He says that these are the natural temperaments of children. But he also argues that if parents don't intervene, and I quote, children's natural temperament will dominate and, will, and they will never learn how to make wise decisions because they will do what feels most natural. This psychologist argues that there's foolishness, as the book of Proverbs says, in the heart of a child. And that the responsibility of a parent is to know that that is true and to help your child make the right decisions because his heart or her heart cannot be trusted. This is why I find it so and so dangerous. The new philosophy of parenting, especially coming from the secular world, in which they tell parents that the best thing you can do for your kids is to let them be. It's to let them discover who they want to be. It's whatever they feel, that's what they should be. Extremely irresponsible. Our responsibility as Christians is actually to shepherd our kids and to pastor our kids and to, listen up, 
transfer our faith to our kids. See, secularism tells you that you should never impose your beliefs on your children. Christianity and the Bible tells you that we, have, we are responsible to transfer our faith to our children. Later on, they will decide if they want to take it or not. This is also why I think that it's in, in, incredibly irresponsible that when someone comes to you and says, I don't know what to do, and you tell that person, follow your heart, the worst thing you could do. Every time I hear that, everything inside of me says, please don't. The problem is your heart. Don't follow your heart. Don't, don't think that you know more than what you know. Seek for advice. Ask questions. Be teachable. Be slow to speak and quick to listen. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Wisdom, then, is the result of us learning how to be teachable. Principle number four. Know your treasure. Look at verse 9. Honor the Lord with all your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Now, obviously, this text is talking about generosity. It's calling us to be generous with our money, with the things we have. It's calling us to share. Now, you might be wondering, why is it that the writer of the book of Proverbs includes this as part of wisdom? Now, if you remember, I told you at the beginning that it is impossible for us as human beings to trust two gods at the same time. It is impossible for us to love one God and love the other God just as much. I think that the reason why the author is including this here is because he knows how dangerous it is for us to have trust and honor both God and money. God and possessions. The word honor that is extremely important because it could literally be translated as, uh, as heavy or as important. So this is what he's saying. That a wise person understands that the love of money can replace God anytime. Wisdom, then, is the product of us learning how to recognize the danger of not being generous and learning how to be generous. Now, I'm not going to spend much time on this one because later on we're actually going to have a whole sermon on generosity. So please stay with us. Suffice to say for now is that without us being generous, wisdom is impossible. Principle number five, you must know your neighbor. Look at verse 27. Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Bruce Waltke, which uh, I learned last week that he was, uh, he was one of Rob's uh, professors in seminary. In my opinion, Bruce Waltke is one of, uh, it is the scholar in the book of Proverbs. I heard an interview this week in which he was saying that he spent about four, 50 years studying the book of Proverbs. And he says that this verse is talking about justice. That this verse is a call to the church to care, to love, to serve, and to provide for those in need, and to speak on behalf of the afflicted, the poor, and the vulnerable. And I quote what he says, to not care for them when they are in need is not merely a lack of charity. It is injustice. This verse is calling us to care. 
This verse is calling us to do. This verse is calling us to pray. What the text is saying is that wisdom without caring for our neighbor is simply impossible. Look at what John Calvin says in his book, The Golden Booklet of the True Christian Life. He says, first of all, Christians ought to imagine themselves in the place of the person who needs their help. And they ought to sympathize with him as though, as though they, they themselves were suffering. So pause there for a second, because what John Calvin is saying, that whenever we see somebody created in the image of God, regardless of how they look and where they come and how they suffer and what they do, we ought to do everything in our power to try to sympathize with that person, because he's created in the image of God. And then he says, they ought to show real mercy and inhumanness and offer their assistance as readily as it were for themselves. Heartfelt pity will banish pity, will banish uh, arrogance and reproach, and will prevent contempt and domineering over the poor and the needy. This is a call for us to care and to love and to serve for the afflicted and the widow and the one in need, regardless of the color, race, ethnicity, age, and gender. As a church, we already believe in the sanctity of life. As a church, we are pro-life from the womb all the way to the tomb. As a church, because of the image of God in human beings, and because we believe that God is a God of justice, we know that violence is unacceptable, that racism is unacceptable, that abortion is unacceptable, that discrimination is unacceptable. Look at what this other author says, Shay Lin. When God created humanity in his image, he didn't discriminate and he didn't give it an expiration date. Wisdom, then, is when we care about our neighbor. You know, the worst thing that we could do, the worst thing that we could do as Christians is to exercise indifference. Because when we exercise indifference, when somebody else that is not like us we're actually saying to that person, that group of people, you don't, we, you don't have value. You don't have dignity. This is the call of the church. This is part of what it means to become wise. We care. We know our neighbor. We fight for justice. We pray for justice. We speak on behalf of justice. We love, we care, we serve. We do something. Is that you? Five, five principles to become wise. Know your God. Know the Bible. Know your heart. Know your idols. Learn how to be teachable. Know your treasures. Know your neighbor. That's how we become wise. Now, if I were to stop the sermon here, many of you would think that I'm calling you to a technique. M many of you can assume that if we just practice this, you know, magically, this is going to help us become wise. But, but, I, but I want you to know that what I'm about to say, it, it might be a little bit frustrating, especially if you become, if you're part of this generation, this fast-paced, um, microwave, impatient generation. Because wisdom is not one of those things that you uh, get 
fast. Actually, wisdom is the result of a long journey. And with that, I want to go to my second point. And don't worry, this is going to be super fast. The timing of wisdom. Wisdom, then, is the result of a long journey. It's not a technique. It's not a set of rules. There's nothing you could do to make it go faster. You just got to do life. And this is where I'm getting it from. If you look at some of the principles that we talked about before, you will see that in every single one of those, and I'm going to give you only three, but in every single one of those, there's this component of learning how to wait and going slow. So, for example, when you go to verse 3, when we talk about knowing God, it tells you that we should never leave his word and that we should bind his word around our neck and write it in the, in the tablets of our heart. The word never leave assumes that this takes a long time. The word bind, which could also be translated as meditate or wrestle or remind or repeat or memorize, it tells you that this takes a long time. So, for example, if you go to verse 6, when we're talking about knowing our heart, it says, in all your ways, submit to him. In all your ways, in everything we do, in any, every single one of our experiences, as time goes by, wherever we go, in all of our ways. Actually, the word ways there can also be translated as journey. In our journey, submit to him. In our journey, let's consider him. In our journey, let's apply the Bible. And when you look at verse 7, it talks about the fear of the Lord. Now, I love this phrase because the fear of the Lord, as you probably already heard us saying at one point, has to do with treasuring God above everything else. Now, Bruce Waltke argues that the fear of that wisdom requires a strong emotion about God and passion toward God. So this is the reason why I'm saying that. Because the fear of God, learning how to treasure God above everything else, takes time. It's when you think, it's when you read, it's when you apply, it's when you meditate, it's when you go back time and time again, it's when you pray time and time again, it's when you fast time and time again, it's when you observe time and time again. It is not the result of something that we do quick and fast. It's about us engaging with God time and time again until he becomes precious, beautiful, wonderful, amazing. Until he affects not just the intellect, but our emotions and our affections. Wisdom, then, is the result of the journey of knowing your God. Wisdom is the result of your journey of knowing your heart. Wisdom is the result of your journey of knowing your treasure. Wisdom is the result of the journey of knowing your neighbor. Now, I asked you to do at the beginning of the sermon to keep in mind that this is a this is almost like a contract, covenant format, covenant language. Now, the reason why I asked you to keep that in mind is because if you notice, the way that the, the text is set up, first it gives you the, what is required, and then it tells you right after what the benefits or the blessings of, of those, are, those things are if you actually fulfill this. So, for example, it tells you that when we know God in verses 1 and 3, and we are wise, the result is a life of peace. It's a life of favor with God and favor with people. That's verses 2 and 4. 
If you, if you see when we talk about knowing your heart in verses 5 and 7, it tells you that if you do that and you are wise, then the result is a straight path and healing. That's verses 6 and 8. It tells you when we talked about the treasures in verse 9, it tells you that if you're generous and wise, the result is prosperity. And if you look at verse 27, it says that if you know your neighbor, if you care for your neighbor, if you love your neighbor, if you believe in justice and you're wise, then the result is that God becomes your friend and he blesses your home. Verses 32 and 33. Now, we didn't read all of this, but right at the end, it says this. The wise inherit honor, but the fools get only shame. So here's a question for you. Are you wise enough? Let, let me change the question. Have you lived a life of wisdom enough for you to think that you deserve all those blessings? I, I, in, in all honesty, I got to tell you that I haven't been that wise. The problem with the covenant language is that if, if I fulfill the things that God is asking me, then the blessings are there. But if I don't fulfill the, the, the things that God is asking, I deserve shame. And with that then, we have to come. We cannot read Proverbs chapter 3 without Jesus in mind. Because when you have Proverbs chapter 3 with Jesus in mind, you realize that there has only been one person that is wise enough. Jesus is the person of wisdom. And this is why this is extremely important. Because Jesus is the one that actually, in God, the Father as well, makes a covenant with us. It is Jesus, part of the Trinity. God Father, God Son, God Holy Spirit. He is the one that is making this covenant with his people. It is Jesus that tells you, if you do this, I will bless you. If you do this, I will be with you. If you do this, I will give you favor with God and with people. If you do this, I will heal you. If you do this, I will give you prosperity. If you, good, if you do this, I will be your friend and I will bless your home. The problem is that none of us deserve that. The problem is that we don't deserve the honor of God. We deserve the shame of God. But this is why Jesus is so amazing. And this is why Jesus in the New Testament is called the New Covenant. Because not only he gives us the covenant, not only he gives us the regulations and the blessings of the covenant, but he himself said the, the consequences of us breaking that covenant. In other words, it is because of Jesus and why he came to live, because he came to live and die, that not only he gives us his honor, but that he takes our shame. And this is what I want you to keep in mind. That the only way we become wise is not only when we apply these principles. It's when we apply these principles because we have the ultimate example of wisdom. And we only apply these principles because we believe in the ultimate wisdom, which is Jesus. And the more we treasure him, and the more we understand that he took our shame and gave us his honor, the more we are going to want to know God, to know our hearts, to know our treasure, and to know our neighbor. The more we desire him, the more we believe in him, the more we embrace what he did for us, the more we will honor God in all of our ways. The more we will find freedom, the more we will receive all the blessings that Jesus Christ guarantees for us. That God is with us. That we already have in him favor with God and favor with people.
that he already healed us from our sin and depravity, that in him we already prosperous, we have all the blessings of the gospel and benefits of the gospel, and that in him God is already our friend and our home is blessed. The more we look at him as the true and ultimate person of wisdom, the more we will become wise. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you, you're not just calling us to do something, but you gave us a person. I pray, Lord, that the way you change our, I thank you, Lord, that the way you change our hearts is not just by giving us, it's not just by giving us rules and techniques, but giving us a life, a life in Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that you help us and teach us, Lord, how to know you, how to know our hearts, how to know our treasure, and how to know people. I pray, Lord, that us, as Witten Bible Church, with, with, uh, with, with all of our groups and all of our services and all of our people, Lord, we become people of wisdom. So we represent you well. So we love you well. So we live lives of freedom. Please, Lord, make it happen. Please allow us to see and treasure Jesus above everything else. For that we pray, in the name of Jesus, amen. Please respond to the name of the Lord and sing it. Let's sing this prayer together.
Church, I want to remind you that the Lord left us here for a reason. I want to remind you that we are here to love, to serve, and to care. I want to remind you that the reason why we are still here is because the Lord has plans for this creation, and in his plans you are included. So please respond. Please pray. Please do. Please serve. Please care. With that in mind, I want to pray over you uh, the blessing that we find in uh, Numbers chapter 6. And it says like this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face upon you and give you peace. Thanks for being with us. We love you. Stick around. We have some announcements for you. Have a blessed day. worshiping with us today. I'm Carol and I serve at Tri Village Church, our Streamwood campus. Each summer, all campuses of Wheaton Bible Church partner to create the Puente del Pueblo summer program. In this program, kids are learning how to succeed in school, acquiring new life skills, and having a lot of fun. The volunteers who are mentoring students through this program are making a lasting difference, both in their academic and their occupational opportunities. So starting July 6th, we will be opening our summer program with additional precautions outlined by health officials for COVID-19. If you are ready to serve the next generation, visit wheatonbible.org volunteer to sign up or to find out how else you can be involved this summer. Volunteer training will be held over Zoom before the program starts on July 6th. In March, Pastor Rob announced his retirement and the elder board share their plan for the next senior pastor. Here's an update from search committee chair, Jim Getz. Good morning, church family. My name is Jim Getz. I am an elder here at your church and I've been asked to lead our search process for a new senior pastor for all of us. This is our announcement today that we are starting this process. We have formed a search team and we are looking forward to God's will for our church. As you know, Rob and Rhonda announced that they will be moving on to the next stage of their life uh, next year, that is in 2021. And the elders have been planning the succession for a couple of years. But today, we're starting that important journey. Our goal is to seek God's will for our church, your church, his church. We want him to help us find a senior pastor who deeply loves God, will deeply love us, and who, whom we will deeply love in return. We have formed this search team. We'll be providing a lot more information on our website on the process and how, it expects, how we expect it to work. Uh, but in the meantime, we want you to know your role. We would like you to pray to surrender our hearts to God in this process and to pray for his provision for all of us. We already have a common question being asked and that is who really decides uh, the senior pastor of the church? That is answered by our constitution which says you, the congregation, decide in a congregation-wide vote of the membership of Wheaton Bible Church. The search team will recommend to the elders a finalist, hopefully this fall, 
and then the elders will recommend to the congregation and hopefully early next year we will uh, see God provide and the congregation decide on our new senior pastor. Thank you all for your service to our Lord. Thank you for your love for Wheaton Bible Church and thank you for your prayer as we start this journey with him.